For me, I've, I've been really enjoying it. Um, I've enjoyed getting in it, studying, learning, hearing from others who've preached here. And uh, it's just been a blessing to me. And what I love about our approach to Scripture is at the Brook, we have a great burden just to preach through books of the Bible at different times. We don't always do that, but we usually do. And the way God lines up things is so, so wonderful. Uh, things aren't coincidental when we fall upon a passage on a particular day. And, and I love to hear how people say, that message spoke to me today. And it's powerful because if that message was preached the week before, it might not have spoke the same way. But God lined it up. And I'm grateful that today we have Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 through 14. It's a passage where God in his mercy exposes some of the things that go on in our culture. I titled our sermon, 50 Shades of White, today. (laughs) February 13th, the movie comes out, 50 Shades of Grey, based on a book written by E.L. James. 50 Shades of Grey is in the genre of erotica which is essentially pornography and writing. And what this book is teaching is uh, detrimental to our society. It has sold 100 million copies and been translated into 52 different languages. Most reviewers say that the book is poorly written, that the prose is weak, yet it sells. It is the fastest-selling paperback of all time in the United Kingdom. It has outsold the Harry Potter series combined in the United Kingdom. It was 20 weeks in a row in the USA Today top-selling book. The book is targeted for women ages 18 to 25, but the primary readership is 30 and above, and people have, deemed, have dubbed it mommy pornography for that very reason. It's a book that has taken our culture by storm, and it's hitting the big screen here in a couple weeks. And when I hear about this book and read reviews about this book and the movie to come, my heart is stirred. Sexual purity is ferociously under attack in our society, family. And we've got to fight for holiness. There is no gray in that sense. I often find when people ask, how far we can go before we sin, they're walking in gray. Yet when we ask God, how can I please you? We're walking in light. And 50 Shades of Gray is appealing to our human heart. And the reality is we all have sexual desires. God has designed us that way. So the appeal itself is not wrong in and of itself, but the way we pursue that desire oftentimes can destroy us from within. You're in junior high or in high school today. You know the temptations that face you in your hallways. Classmates, friends telling you, hey, check this out. Come with me. Let's do these things together. Appealing to the fleshly desires that are good in God's eyes but have been twisted by our sin nature. Others of us, young adults or adults, we know the continual and ongoing battle that we face with our flesh And today, I want to charge you to fight like you believe there is victory. There's a way to fight with your sword down as if you've already lost. And there's a way to fight like you believe it. And today, we're calling you to fight like you believe it. Stand for the God of light rather than bow to the idol of lust. 
That's our message for today. Stand for the God of light rather than bow to the idol of lust. We find ourselves in Ephesians 5, and what we've seen in this book of Ephesians is the Apostle Paul, a man who hated Christians, and Jesus grabbed his life and turned it upside down and changed him, and now he devoted his life to tell people about Jesus because Jesus is great, he's awesome, he's amazing, and living for him is the best life to live. And Paul dedicated his life to that message And for the first three chapters of the book, he's helping people see our deep need for Jesus. He's saying, man, we're slaves to sin. We're in shackles. We're handcuffed in sin. The sad thing is, handcuffs are what portrayed in Fifty Shades of Grey as good. But sin binds us. And Paul says we're enslaved. But what he also says is this in Ephesians 2. But God, who is rich in mercy, he saved us when we were in sin. And the hope of the book of Ephesians just flows from there, saying, hey, this is who you used to be apart from Jesus, and this is who you are now because of Jesus. And there is a hope that changes our lives and begins to renew our mind and then renews our lives. As we walk in community, we saw last week, And now as we walk in our world that hates Jesus. We find ourselves in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. What Paul says is, this is who you are. You've been redeemed. You are loved far more than you could ever understand. And the truth is we are far more sinful than we could ever know. And yet Jesus stepped in our spot, the great display of God's love. And he tells us to walk in this love, but he also says in verse 8 to walk in light. Walk in light. You see in verse 7, Therefore do not be, become partakers with them, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. And if we are children of the light and God is our Father, then God is light which is to say he is holy. If you remember in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses is out in the field and he sees this burning bush and it calls out to him and he stands and goes to the bush to see what this burning bush was about and God speaks and he says, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground because God was there. 18 times Isaiah calls him the holy one of Israel. The holiness of God is one of his primary attributes. And yet Peter says, in 1 Peter 1.15, but as he who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For he says, you shall be holy as I am holy, quoting Leviticus 11. See, God who was holy and other and majestic and glorious, perfect, who was fully light, tells us then to imitate him and walk in holiness. And we might feel a tension there because we're like, hey, that's just, that's not where I'm at. I'm not, a, I'm not, I'm struggling with that. And what we need to understand is this, that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, we become positionally holy before God because Jesus' righteousness has been clothed upon us. So when the Father sees us, he sees the righteousness of his Son. That's called in theological terms, positional sanctification. 
to be sanctified, to be made holy. It's our position, it's our standing when we become a child of God today. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you are a saint, which means you are a holy one. But again, sometimes you look in that mirror, you say, I don't feel so saintly. You don't know the things going on in this mind, in this heart. You call me a saint? And here's the mercy of God. Because he says, you are positionally holy, but you've got to walk, therefore, in that identity, progressively growing in holiness. It's a positional stand and a progressive life. And so there are markers that define how you are growing. We all live in Chicago, at least most of us do, and we take pride in that. I love being from Chicago. It is my positional location. And I live in light of the fact that I'm from Chicago, and I'm really keen on things that are Chicago in. Like, you know you're from Chicago, when somebody tells you, hey, I'm from Chicago, you say, oh, where you live? And they say, Naperville. You get mad. <laughs> like, that's not Chicago. I mean, you can say suburb of Chicago. So you know you're from Chicago, right? If you call that building the Sears Tower. <laughs> with no other definition needed. It's that building. It's the Sears Tower. You know you're from Chicago when your expressways are the Dan Ryan, Edens, Stevenson, and so forth. You don't need numbers. You know you're from Chicago when you know Empire's telephone number. (laughs) 588. Because you're positionally a Chicagoan, and you know you're from Chicago with these various signs. And when God says his children are positionally holy, And we know that we are growing progressively in holiness by various signs, like when we're quick to repent, when God shows us we've sinned. That's because you're growing. And be encouraged. You can be discouraged at the fact that you fell, but be encouraged because his spirit stood you up and made you repent and walk. That's growth, family. You know you're progressing in holiness when you don't take that second glance or click when everything in you is saying, do it. You know you're progressing in holiness when your taste buds are yearning for God and his word. You know you're progressing in holiness when you zip your lip and don't let gossip slip. (laughs) You're growing. And so God is light, he is holy, and he says when you trust in Jesus Christ, this becomes your identity. Today you may not be there. Today you might say, you know, I've never given my life to Jesus. And what God is offering to you today is this. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully light, who walked this earth to die in your place because you were not like God. I was not like God. And when Jesus died on the cross, God's holiness made him wrathful towards sin because his holiness cannot live with sin And he has judgment towards sin, and his wrath was poured on Jesus. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because the Father turned his back on him for you. And when you put your faith in Jesus and know that he raised from the dead on your behalf, you're a saint. You're forgiven. You have a positional identity of holiness and a call to progressively walk in that because our God is light. Paul says to walk as children of light. But his focus here is is laser focused here. He, he, He puts his eyes specifically to the matter of sexual purity. Why? 
because it's been a matter for all of human history. Because it's a desire that is good, that sin has skewed and twisted. And in order to understand the, 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 the twisted nature of sex, we've got to understand the beautiful nature of sex. You see, in Genesis chapter 2, God made Adam and Eve and he brought them together and it says that the two become one flesh. That's the union that happens between husbands and wives as God has designed sex for the marriage relationship only. And that's God's design for marriage, for enjoyment, for pleasure. The Bible talks of sex in the most beautiful of ways, not demeaning or degrading it. The Song of Solomon is nine chapters dedicated to the relationship between a a woman and a man who become married in the book. And the woman likens her body to a garden. And on her wedding day, she says, come eat of its fruit. See, the Bible talks about sex in its right context, with beauty. And what has happened in our culture has become twisted. And what is white has become gray. And what has become gray has shades of gray. Even the sequel talks about I think it's 50 Shades of Darker, I think it's titled. You see, family, God has designed sex to be beautiful, to be treasured and cherished within the context of marriage. And there alone, and what the culture has done is has twisted. And Paul is saying, I need you to stand for the God of light rather than bow to the idol of lust. And so he specifically points out what he has in mind here in verse 3. He says, but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. He says, this this can't be you, family. He says, sexual immorality, the Greek word is porneia. You don't need to be a Greek student to figure that one out. It's where we get our word pornography. And it it has this idea of all different sorts of sexual immorality. And just in case... Anybody who reads thinking that Paul's being narrow here and what his understanding of immorality is, he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity, not just impurity, but all impurity, so that nothing is excluded here. And he adds on, or covetousness, that's to covet, to to be greedy, to desire something that's not yours. He said, this can't be named among you. What Paul has in mind is a sin of pursuing our sexual desires outside of marriage. In any form, be it pornography, sexting, watching and enjoying pornographic material, movies that degrade the human body and degrade God's design for sex, enjoying those things. This is where it encompasses all these ideas. Paul says, this can't be named among you. And I find it interesting, perhaps, how he lumps covetousness with sexual immorality. See, the Ten Commandments, the command number seven says, you should not commit adultery, which is within immorality, being unfaithful to your spouse. But then the Tenth Commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife. And it goes on and on. See, what's behind the desire to pursue sexual activity outside of marriage, whether it's unmarried or a married person, is a coveting of your heart. Say, I want more, I want different, and I'm going to pursue it beyond God's design. And that's what Paul's saying, this just can't be named among us. 
This is not our identity. You are children of the light. So walk in light. Verse 4, he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And I think in this same vein of thought, he's speaking of the obscene kind of language that begins to typify our culture. The, the, the language that's explicit. The word filthiness is used of shameful acts in Romans 1.27. He talks about foolish talk here. The word foolish is where we get the Greek word moron from. This is the kind of speech that's just moronic. It's, it's the kind of stuff that exits your mouth and like, that was just dumb. And Paul said, just don't let that be named among you. He says, neither should be crude joking. Think about crude oil is unprocessed oil. Crude joking is unprocessed speech. And you know, oftentimes so much harm can be done in the sake of joking when really it's degrading. It's immoral. Proverbs 26 says in verses 18 and 19, like a madman who throws firebrand arrows and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. And clearly our joking could be destructive. It could be damaging. And so Paul points these things out in his own day, saying there are distortions to what God has designed there to be with reference to sexual purity. And when I think about this in our own day, Paul's words ring true some 2,000 years later, don't they? I remember about 12 years old, the first time I saw pornography as a child. I remember I wasn't looking for it. I was in junior high, walked into class, and a classmate of mine had an image in his hand, stuck it right in my face, held it there, and walked away. And God's grace, he's rooted the image out of my mind, but not the memory of what happened that day. And I was a a young kid not looking for it, but it found me. And that's what happens in our society. Pornography is a $10 billion industry. And the only reason it's not climbing in its uh, worth and uh, gross income is because there's so much free pornography out there on the Internet. One in five mobile searches are for pornographic material. One in five. In a couple weeks, or next week, will be the Super Bowl, which is the highest human trafficking day of the year in the United States, where men come from all over the world to celebrate this day, to watch this game, and the sin nature appeals to that, and girls are trafficked. And as one website says, this is so prominent because it's supply and demand. There's such a high demand, so therefore there's a high supply, and girls are being brought into prostitution, forced at the ages of 12 to 14 on average, and sometimes younger in undeveloped countries. Pornography is an issue in our culture, family. But to not be mistaken, 28% of all pornographic users are women. This is not just a male issue. This is a, this is a human heart issue for men and women. Approximately 9 out of 10 children between the ages of 8 and 16 have viewed pornography on the Internet. 9 out of 10. The average age of first internet exposure to pornography is 11 years old, says one study. And in most cases, it is unintentional. The largest consumer of internet pornography are 12 to 17-year-old boys. If you're a parent today, don't be deceived saying, my child's a good kid. That doesn't matter. Pornography finds us. 
that found me at 12 years old when I wasn't looking. It will find us. The U.S. Department of Justice says, never before in the history of telecommunications, media in the United States has so much indecent and obscene material been so easily accessible by so many minors in so many American homes with so few restrictions. We can't be passive for your own soul and the soul of your children. One doctor says, pornography triggers a myriad of endogenous endogenous, internal natural drugs that mimic the high from a street drug. Addiction to pornography is addiction to what I dub uh, erotoxins, mind-altering drugs produced by the viewer's own brain. See, pornography begins to shape our minds in a biological way and begins to consume and destroy us until we're fully enslaved to it. This is why I said at the beginning of the message, I want us to fight like you could believe there is victory. Because some today even here are feeling so enslaved to pornography, you feel like there's no way out. This is who I am. It's my identity. You've thrown your hands up. And God say, no, who you are is holy. You're a saint. You can walk as a saint, empowered by my spirit, and have victory. But it won't happen on accident. You've got to fight. You've got to fight. What we have in our home is a web protection called canine web protection. Google it. It's free. It's free. It's free, family. It will save, it will save your soul. Is it cumbersome sometimes? Yes. When it blocks pages, I'm like, really? I'm on Facebook but it's worth it. Get it, use it. Canine web protection. There's also what's called covenant eyes, which is, I think, $10 a month plan. And you can have accountability at some high levels based on the sites you visit. And your email can be sent to friends that are going to keep you accountable, who love you, and who are going to call you up and say, hey, I got a, I got a warning. What's up with that? What were you doing yesterday? How can I encourage you? How can I pray with you? What are the things that triggered this? Let's, let's, let's get on our knees together. Let's fast tomorrow. Family, it's worth every dollar. There are distortions of sex that shape our minds. And pornography is the biggest one in our culture. But the truth of the matter is, even apart from pornography, the human heart is, is wretched. And so we go out after our desires, which may be good, but in our expressions they are wrong. And this is why adultery happens within marriages. This is why fornication happens, sex happens outside of marriage. I think of the book of Proverbs in chapter 5 where a father is pleading with his son, preparing him to leave the house on his own. And he's saying, son, these are some instructions I'm giving to you. And he says in Proverbs 5.1, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. And he says this, For the lips of the forbidden women drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path of Sheol. He says, says, uh, she does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander. She does not know it. And you're going to follow that into destruction, my brother, my son. He's saying, don't go. 
It's going to look like honey, sweet and enticing. It's going to be smooth like oil. It might feel right at first, but it will kill you, son. Listen to me. He says, keep your way far from her and do not, got, do not go near the house, the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and give your years to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner and at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I, do not listen, I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ears to, my, to instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin. Proverbs 5. There will be many things that tell you the grass is greener, but it is dead. If you made a covenant with your spouse, if you are married today, protect that with all diligence. With all diligence. There will be honey, there will be oil. Do not go after it. We must stand for the God of light rather than bow to the idol of lust. Whether it be our speech, our steps, whatever it is, we must fight. Paul says, but instead, verse 4, let there be thanksgiving. I said, that's odd. We're not talking about the holiday. There's no turkey here. What is he referring to? You see, when ingratitude begins to sink into our hearts, and we think we deserve better than we're getting, we go out elsewhere. But yet when we look and say, God, thank you for all that I have. Thank you for my singleness today, God. I will not, I will not compromise that, God. I have desires. You know them, Lord, but I'm setting my affections on you. I'm going to choose to be grateful. You know my desires to have a spouse, but I'm going to choose to be thankful. And God, I'm going to trust that you will satisfy every need I have. And God will. Instead, be thankful. Be thankful for your spouse. You know, we don't always see eye to eye. But God, this is who you've given me. And I'm going to work and fight in war for this marriage. It's thanksgiving. Thank you, God. Thank you. That's how we stand for the God of light and not bow to the idol of lust. And Paul has some hard words in verse 5. He says, for you may be sure of this, that everyone, he say everyone, everyone, who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. May you hear that? Everyone who is sexually immoral has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. To understand what he is saying, let's listen to what he's not saying. He is not saying there is no path of repentance for those who've sinned. He's saying, if this is where you've been or where you are today, there is forgiveness. Remember verses 1 and 2? Imitate God. Why? Walk in love. How did Christ love us? He gave himself up for us, not because you were perfect, but because you were in sin. And he says, through me, you can have redemption and healing and forgiveness. So Paul's not saying, hey, if you've, been, if you've been immoral, if you're addicted to pornography, 
If you're being unfaithful to your spouse, he's not saying you're going to go to hell. No, he's saying there is repentance for you, but you've got to turn and trust in Jesus. But what he is saying also is that the rejection of God leads to separation from God. The rejection of God leads to separation from God. So if we refuse to repent of our sin, we must believe that. I'm not walking as a child of light. And I'm not a child of light, then God's not my father. So what Paul is saying here is, we've got to turn from our sin. He said, don't, don't let anyone deceive you with empty words. Because the wrath of God is coming on this. See, God is holy God and he hates sin and he loves righteousness. And his wrath was satisfied in Jesus for all who trust in him. But if you don't trust in Jesus, the wrath of God is directed toward you. And Paul is saying, if you're a child of God, Walk as a child of light. Walk as a child of light. Why the warning? Because we're weak. But why the command? Because he's given us his spirit to help us. He's given us his spirit. I want to give you five ways in which we walk in the light. Five ways to walk in the light. Most of them from the text, some of them from experience. We look at verse 8. He says, for at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. The first way to walk in the light is to walk in repentance. Walk in repentance. In verse 11, he says, take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. And exposing them begins in your own heart. Saying, God, I see the stuff here in me. God, expose them. God, I repent of them. I'm turning from them. To repent means a 180-degree turn. You're going this way. When you repent, you turn around and go the other way. And that's what repentance is. God is merciful because he allows us time to repent. He is a faithful father to you if you are his daughter or his son. And he offers you light and hope through repentance. If you're not a child of God today, hear God's mercy right now. Today he's giving you an opportunity to trust him, to, to repent, to ask his forgiveness and turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and be adopted in God's family and be forgiven and be called a saint. This is his mercy in your life right now. And he's saying, come to me, repent. Some people think, that God's slowness to return back and put an end to all of this shows that he's not going to fulfill his promise. And what Peter tells us is, no, it's God's patience and it's his kindness. Because that kindness, with every minute that passes, is an extra minute that everyone who does not know Jesus has an opportunity to turn to him. With every minute that passes is an extra minute God has given you as a child of God to turn from your sin. That's mercy. That's not slowness to fulfill his promise. That's mercy. So walk in repentance with thanksgiving. You might say, my first step of repentance is God forgive me. And God, thank you for your forgiveness. Thanksgiving. We walk in repentance when we get into accountability. Are you accountable to anybody in your life? Is there anybody in your life who will ask you, did you look at pornography last week? Is there anybody in your life who will say, what are the things going on in your heart right now? Is there anybody? And if there's not, it's because you're not opening yourself up to those people. And yes, we've got to be very careful who we invite into those delicate places of our lives. I'm not saying put your stuff out there on the internet. 
Listen, you need one or two or three people in your life of the same gender who are going to keep you accountable, who are going to love you, who are going to plead with you. I have a brother I meet with at least once a month for breakfast, and he asks me anything he wants, anything he wants. I have the same communication with Erica, my wife. She can ask me anything she wants. She has all my passwords. It's It's accountability. There's no secrecy. We can't let there be a private you and a public you. Expose. Let God expose it. There must be accountability. And that part might just be, not might, it needs to be getting something, a filter for your internet. Gotta get it. You gotta know how to check the history on your, on your web searches. You don't have to check the history on, your, on Google, you're already a step behind. If you have children, you've got to check the history. So the first way to walk in light is to walk in repentance. The second way to walk in the light is to walk with conviction. Conviction. Verse 7, he says, therefore, do not become partakers with them. Because you've got a conviction, that's not me. I'm not going to do what they do. Verse 12 says, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul's saying, have some conviction about who you are. Now, conviction does not mean in what not being a partner with people who are trying to bring you off course into sin. What it does not mean is to not be friends with people. If you're not friends with people who don't know Jesus, what's going to happen? We all need the light of Christ. If you're a child of God today, you are because somebody brought you to Jesus. Someone didn't say, you know, that person, you know their story? No. How did Jesus deal with those who were entrenched in sexual sin? For one, he says, your sins are forgiven when they repented. For another, he offered hope. He says, go and sin no more. To another, he gave a new identity. He says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. See, Jesus loved those who were broken, and we need to love those who are broken no matter where you're at. But what walking with conviction does mean is no missionary dating. And it might be a foreign term to you, and this is what it is. Missionary dating is saying, I love Jesus, but that girl over there is really hot. She does not love Jesus. I'm going to go tell her about Jesus My first question being, you want to go out on a date. And then I'll tell her about Jesus. That doesn't work. It may have worked once, and everybody wants to try it. I remember in high school, I just said, she has to be a Christian, and she's got to be pretty. Super shallow, I know. But just set that bar that low and move from there. But, but seriously, there's no missionary dating. We can't just say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to start dating, get in a relationship with this person. They will bring you down. They, they will always. They might not even be evil people, like having a, a malicious intent. But when you are worshiping God, and they are not worshiping God, they're worshiping something altogether different, which is idolatry. You cannot stand for the God, the God of light, and date someone who was bowing to the idol of lust you just can't so my single brothers and sisters today believe that Jesus has something good for you 
And if it's a walk and sing, let's trust that he is good. He will satisfy every desire. He will meet you at every place. Proverbs says, can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The answer is no. That wasn't loud enough. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? The answer is no. Correct. Correct. What that means to walk in conviction as married people is when, when she bats her eyes at you, you walk away. Run away. Get in the car. Drive away. Get on the expressway. Go. <laughs> you flee. Flee. Walk with conviction. So first, you walk in repentance to walk in the light. You walk with conviction. Thirdly, walk to please God above pleasing yourself. And you might think, well, how fun is that? That's actually more fun than anything. You see, Paul says here in verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. God, I want to please you, so therefore I'm going to pursue what is good and right and true. And this is what sin does to us. I love how, it says, how Paul says, pursue what is true, because sin lies. And one of the lies is this, that what I want is more enjoyable than the pleasure of pleasing God. It's a lie from the pit of hell. Pleasing God and living for him is the greatest pleasure. Psalm 16 says, In your presence is the fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So Paul says, what is good and right and true, that's what pleases God. So when you're tempted, ask yourself, is this good? Is this right? Is this true? Another lie is that if I feel peace about it, then it must be right. No. No, that's not true. A third lie, nobody will know. God will expose. So pursue what is good, what is right, and what is true. A fourth way to walk in the light is to walk ready for war. You got to be armed with your sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Get some Bible verses, memorize them like it's nobody's business, and wield them like a weapon. Psalm 119.9, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to God's word. Job 31.1, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. 1 Timothy 4.12, be an example, example to the believers in speech, life, love, and purity. Don't let anyone look down on your youthfulness, 1 Timothy 4.12 says. Romans 12.1 and 2, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to discern what is God's will, what is good and pleasing and perfect. 1 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape so that you may be able to endure it. Memorize these verses. And you say, those are great verses, Pastor Eric. Where'd you get those? From the fight. From fighting. From waging war against the flesh. 
I can't tell you how many times I've quoted those verses in my spirit in the midst of a hot temptation. I made a covenant with my eyes. When your flesh is burning, saying, God, I want to live according to your word because that's how you say a young man can stay pure. And that's true for young women too. And old women and old men too. (laughs) When your thoughts are skewed and you're like, this isn't right. God, help me be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that, of my mind so I can know what is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 2. God, help me start reciting that God purge these thoughts because they're twisted. When you're neck deep in temptation, remember there is a way out. There's always a door. And sometimes it's just closing your eyes. People are going to laugh at you. So what? Stand for the God of light. Don't bow to the idol of lust. When she bats her eyes at you at the coffee shop, when that smooth-talking dude, sharply dressed, gives you the attention that you've been longing for, flee, fight, don't bend, don't break. Fight like you believe it. There are no shades of gray. It's all white. Because God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. The fifth way that we walk in the light is to walk in the gospel. Walk in the hope that you have in Jesus. Paul says in verse verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. Your life is proof of that. My life is proof of that. God and his light exposed my sin. And when I put my trust in Jesus, I was converted. And me, my old self, died. I've become a new creation because light has made my life visible. And now that I am visible, I am light. And Paul says that here. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. If you can see it, it's in the light. And then he has this statement, which is a formula of some Old Testament passages that's probably used when they baptized Christians. It says, therefore, awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. That is the hope that every child of God has, because you were dead. And God says, awake, O sleeper, and let Christ shine upon you and give you a new life. And what Paul is doing here, he's reminding them of the gospel of Jesus and their new identity. He said, walk in the light by remembering the gospel. He said, God, I remember that you took my sin. And right now I'm I'm stumbling here, God. Uh, My flesh is itching, God. But I know that you conquered this sin, so help me overcome. And remember what I said, progressing in holiness? God, I just sinned. God, I just, I just took you for granted. Forgive me. I repent. That's the gospel that says you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're clothed in righteousness. You are positionally Holy. When you trust in Jesus. One writer says of this passage, the dominant imagery throughout the passage is that of light and darkness. There is no middle ground or shades of gray. 
The apostle wants his Christian readers to realize that they are to live by values that are diametrically opposed to the standards of their contemporary world values and include sexual purity and wholesome speech. Instead of being corrupted by the surrounding darkness, believers are to exercise their influence upon it. Exercise their influence upon it. There is a ferocious attack on sexual purity. And it is not going away. You will either fight or you will bow. There's no gray in that. Where are you at today? Maybe today you're saying, I'm just so defeated. I've I've given up years ago. And I just want to plead with you. It is not over. It's not over. If you've never trusted in Jesus, God in his mercy today is saying that you could be adopted in his family. You could be an imitator of God by the power of his spirit. That your sin has been paid for on the cross of Jesus. God's wrath would not be directed toward you if you trust in him. And you can be a child of light. Would you trust in him today? You know, and as we, in a few moments, we're going to close and we're going to have some prayer leaders come forward. If you're saying, I want to be a child of light. I know, I know sin feels good and it's fun at first, but I, I'm the one who's by myself at night when I lay down. I, I'm the one who's groaning within because of the choices I've made. I need God's forgiveness. I need his, his hope. And if today you want to surrender your life to Jesus, I plead you to do it. Our prayer leaders would love to pray with you. If you're a daughter of the King of Kings today, you must know you have great value and worth, sister. Your identity is in Jesus Christ, not what the world says it should be. The images on TV, images in magazines, images on website, it's not, that's not what God wants for you. He made you the way you are. Precious daughter of his, beautiful in his sight. Claim to that identity. Don't live to please other people. Please the Lord. Please the Lord. For my brothers, fight. Fight. Don't let these commercials define you. Don't let what everyone else does define you. God has given us a light to shine. My heart just breaks for this. For a long time yesterday, I was just raw because I just felt this weight because I know this message is speaking to the heart of some people here. And there may be some today, you're living a double life. Nobody knows it but you. Nobody. Maybe you're being unfaithful to your spouse. Maybe you're addicted to pornography and nobody has a clue. Maybe you've got multiple partners on the side. Maybe you're just pursuing every idea that enters your mind. Let the Lord bring you to repentance today. This is the way he exposes. And I just plead with you, don't play with fire. Galatians says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. And so this is an offer of grace to you from God. Jesus, who loved you, knowing how broken you were, is offering forgiveness. There are no shades of gray. There's only the holiness of God in our pursuit of it. I love you guys dearly. 
I stay up late often thinking about numbers of you. And we are committed to walking this journey together. And I made myself available under other leaders today. If you need to confess some sin, I'm going to walk with you in that. I'm going to show you the love of Jesus. Sometimes it's tough, but it's love. And we're going to see and believe that there is victory because there's power in the blood. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we are so aware of how difficult it can be sometimes to follow Jesus. But we're not defeated. Because on the cross, you defeated the greatest foe, sin, death, and Satan, through your resurrection. And Lord, if there's any today who just feel like there is no hope, God, I pray. I pray, oh Lord, that they would believe. God, I pray that through repentance and forgiveness, there can be life. God, I pray we'd be proactive in our fight for purity, that we would stand for you, God, who is light, and that we would not bow to any idol. Oh Lord, I pray you would bring deliverance to one who's in bondage today, God free them from these chains that keep them broken, God. For anyone that the sun sets free is free indeed, but there's no freedom when there's rebellion, God. So I pray for freedom today. I pray for hope. I pray for life and restoration. For those, God, who are just so hurt by the choices they've made, help them be able to see beyond it and know that through you, Lord, they can go forward. That when they come to the water of life, they come to God Almighty. Be glorified in us, God. thank you, God, for the gift of repentance. I thank you, God, for forgiveness. I thank you for eternal life. God, we love you. Almighty God, who came to our rescue. And we just want to be where you are, oh God. In Jesus' name.